week two of our new movement here at Echo um, towards this idea of being and making disciples who live contagiously. And just before we dig back in, I want to let you know next week, um, we are really praying for a, a big day here at Echo. We've got um, some surprises planned for you. I'm going to give you just a little bit of an idea. You know, Easter is not that far away. I know it doesn't feel like it outside, but it's really, it's only a few weeks away. And we have gone into the think tank here at Echo, and we believe we've got some really, some new things we're going to do this year at Echo that are going to be fun, that are going to make memories, that are going to be things that you're going to feel comfortable inviting people to and participating in yourself. And I'm going to give you just a little bit each week leading up to to Easter of what that's about. Also, um, Next week, uh, we, have, we have someone that's going to be with us, uh, kind of a special, not really a special guest, but part of our family, our leader, our uh, senior pastor, George Radwano from uh, Trinity Life, who's usually over at our central campus. He uh, called me on Thursday and said, you know, I'm going on vacation this week. He's going to be suffering for Jesus. He's leaving today to fly to Naples, Florida for the week and uh, enjoy some sun down there. He said, I'm getting in late this coming Saturday night. And he said, you know, I just kind of want to ease back in from vacation um, and not have a lot of you know, responsibilities on Sunday morning. He said, could I just come and worship at Echo next Sunday? I said, absolutely. So he's going to be here next week. Some of you know Pastor George. A lot of us don't know him all that well. And so I'm going to be um, inviting him to share a little bit of, we've been talking about stories. I'm going to be inviting him to share a little bit of his story with us in the message. I'll be preaching, but I um, am asking him to just share a little bit of his story. I want this to be a warm, fun, safe environment for our pastor to ease back into uh, the work week next Sunday. So please make an effort to be here next week if you can. And also, so can I just encourage you from my pastor's heart to yours, will you, will you make it a point to come up and introduce yourself to him if you've never met him before or if you have known him you know, for a number of years, just come up and say hi to him next week. I, just, I want him to be able to experience what I get to enjoy every week of just this warm, authentic, genuine family that, that we get to spend Sundays with. So he'll be here next week and give you a chance to get to know him a little bit better. So uh, if you have your notes in your bulletin, why don't you pull them out? We are in part two of our series called Contagious Best Practices of Sharing Your Faith. We are going after this idea, and it's our mission statement here at Echo. We are passionately, unapologetically, wholeheartedly committed to being disciples of Jesus and to making disciples of Jesus. And we're tacking on to it in this series, this idea, disciples who live contagiously. And what we mean by that is people who embody feelings and attitudes in emotions that are pleasing to God and who let these pleasing feelings, attitudes, and emotions bubble up in our life and spread to people who don't know Jesus. And so we're calling this entire six-week series Contagious Best Practices of Sharing Your Faith. I mentioned last week that as your pastor, I do my very best to never ask you or challenge you to do something that I would not do myself. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to turn your attention to the screen behind me as we go into uh, day two of a seven-day experiment that I'm on and how to live contagiously. Check it out. Well, there it is. Um, <laughs> some days it doesn't happen, does it? That's just how it is. I took a risk in doing this. Now, I have the advantage of knowing how the week ended up. Um, stay tuned. Uh, there, may be more good, there may be good news or there may be more failure, you know, so, uh, but keep coming back every week, and, 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 I, and I'm being a little unnecessarily hard on myself. Um, I just want to walk through what we're asking all of us to try and think about is how do we live contagiously, and I have a challenge that some of you have, but not all of you have. I work 
in a very small office with two people who go to my church. And so I recognize for me, I could very easily live a very insulated life as a Christian and not uh, be looking for opportunities to, to rub elbows with people who, who need what I have in me through Jesus Christ. And so um, I will tell you next week, it does make a turn. There is a, there's, a, there's a shift in the story next week um, that you'll definitely want to see working out. But I'm pressing on with this experiment. Why? Well, A, because I made myself accountable to all of you to do it. But B, I'm convinced it's what I ought to do. I'm convinced it's what I ought to do. And if you've heard any amount of Bible teaching from a preacher, we talk a lot about what we ought to do, don't we? Sermons, pastors, we tell you every Sunday, here's what you ought to do. You ought to give 10% of your money back to God in the offering. You ought to read your Bible and study your Bible and memorize Scripture. You ought to pray 30 hours a day and 500 hours a week. You ought to serve on a team at your church and give back a ministry. You ought to be in a small group. You ought to confess your sins. You ought to forgive people. You ought to be baptized in water. We talk a lot about the ought-tos of Christianity, but you know what sometimes we don't talk about as much? The how-tos. We talk about the ought-tos a lot. And you and I might go home feeling like, the pastor is right. I don't do these things to the degree that I should and I really need to. And I feel bad and I want to make a change. I don't know exactly how. You know what you need when you don't know how to do something? You need a good plan. You need a good, clear plan as to how to do something. And the reality is that the Bible is brimming with instruction that if you're a disciple, you ought to share your faith with other people. You ought to be an evangelist of sorts. You ought to have an evangelistic impact on the world that you live. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging here. Fortunately, Jesus gives us a very clear plan, a clear formula is another way of saying as to how to share your faith and have an impact on the world that we live in. It's found right here in our text this morning in the middle of the most famous sermon in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was gathering in the middle of a crowd of probably a few hundred, a few thousand people in Capernaum. I want to read it together with us this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament, um, chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 16. And here's, here's what it says. This is Jesus speaking. And he's speaking to people who are his followers or would-be followers. He says this. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are also the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp, no one, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, the title of this morning's message, and really what you're going to dig into beginning in your growth groups this week, is this idea of how to impact other people. By being like Billy Graham. No. How to impact other people by being just like your pastor. Heaven help you. Because <laughs> if you follow my example, you're going to be in bad shape, okay? <laughs> no. How to impact others by being who? 
yourself by being the person with the personality that God's given you. In fact, this is reinforced in the big idea I want to I promote to you this morning. It's this. It's right here in your notes. The big idea is that God has already given you and me the very best tool. Now, I've been called a tool before, but I mean it in a different way. The very best tool for deploying a contagious lifestyle that achieves maximum impact for Jesus Christ. That tool is your personality. God's already given you the best resource He's already built into you this very unique, custom-designed instrument to use to achieve maximum impact for Jesus. And that is your personality. Now, I recognize at face value that might not seem too revolutionary, but I think if we're really honest, most of us don't believe that. I think most of us think we have to become somebody other than we are if we want to be good at sharing our faith. Let's go to the whiteboard here for a second. I drew drew a little T-chart, and for the 120-some-odd of you that are in growth groups already, this is a little bit of a review for what you covered in your growth group this past week. When we think of evangelism, which is a fancy church word for saying the responsibility to share our faith in Jesus with people who don't know. When we think of evangelism, it conjures up both positive and negative attributes in our mind. When you think of characteristics of people who you see doing evangelism, we think of some negative characteristics, things like they're annoying. They're unnecessarily loud. They're judgmental. Have you ever seen a judgmental person doing evangelism? You go down to like, you know, you go down the street corner and there's someone down there, you know, turn or burn, you know, (laughs) all those types of really effective evangelism strategies, right? You know, they're judgmental. How about this one? They're pushy. You know, sometimes we think of there's some negative examples of people who, I mean, they're they're very passionate about Jesus, but they have no trouble pounding on someone's door on like a cold call, pounding on the door, opening it up and saying, good morning, sir. Do you know Jesus or are you going to hell? It's a strategy Maybe not one that you would like to deploy or one that you're not excited about, but we think of some negative things. We also think about some positive things about evangelists that we look at, you know, aspirationally, like they're great communicators. I mean, they are well-spoken. They are outgoing and charismatic. They're friendly. They draw a crowd. They're extroverts. They are Bible scholars. They have the Bible memorized in its entirety in multiple languages and can turn any conversation, no matter how boring and benign, towards the book of Leviticus through some magical power that they have. When they were bitten by a spider, when they... No, it's Peter Parker. But... um, And I think most of us, when we think about this responsibility of sharing our faith... We, we imagine two different personalities that we have to morph into if we're going to be good about this. We think, well, it's pretty much left to the all-star Christians who are the reincarnation of the Apostle Paul, or they're left to the people who really aren't good at it but do it anyway. And I have to become one of the two of them. I think many of us look at sharing our faith like this. Well, let me just give you some relief this morning. You can cross this list, list off in your mind. We're not asking you to become this. In fact, we'd like to retire some of these traits 
and people and harness it for good and focus it in the right direction. I also want to encourage you, we're going to retire this list this morning. Because we can't all be that one person. Most of us are somewhere right here on this line. This is who we are. We wanted a strategy for the rest of us. And here's what I'm saying. Evangelism is just about you being you. Discovering who it is that God made you to be. What is the unique personality that you have? And how can God use your personality if you happen to be a little more shy? Thank God that you're shy. We need some shy people to reach people for Jesus. Maybe you're somebody that doesn't, isn't real comfortable being a Bible scholar, but you like to work with your hands or do acts of kindness or service for people. Thank God for you. We're going to study. In your growth groups this week, you'll study six different personality types represented in the Bible and six different characters that God used in those personality types to impact their world for Jesus. We're not asking you to change who you are. We're inviting you to discover who you are, embrace who you are, and leverage everything about you for maximum kingdom impact. Now, isn't that a relief to you? Doesn't that seem more natural and doable for you? Anybody? Okay, good. All right. If not, I will keep drawing this T-chart on the board until you give me the answers that I'm looking for. You, you vocal, outgoing, noisy, Baltimore cold crowd this morning. <laughs> so let's not leave it right there. Now that I've kind of made a little bit of point, I've given you a big idea. Let me give you a big equation. I have to confess to you this morning I love algebra. Lo- you like algebra too, Jane? I knew there was a reason that you and I were meant to serve on this team. Because I love algebra. I did really good at it. In fact, a few years ago when I was trying to figure out what the next step in my life was, I thought maybe God was redirecting me back into the public school system, and I started taking the, the alternate path to public school teaching certification courses, and I scored off the charts in algebra. So I believe maybe uh, I can use that language this morning to help us get a little bit of a formula out of those verses we just read to, to see this equation more queer, clearly. Let me give you the big equation. The big equation is this, and I'm going to write it backwards from how it is in your notes. And I realize this is going to speak to you right away. You're going to see this, and it's like the light bulb is going to go off in your mind. I'm giving you the Rosetta Stone this morning. HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. Amen? Aren't you fired up about all those letters this morning? <laughs> Let me give it to you again. I'm going to write it backwards on the board. I'm going to write MI. I'm going to use some, some properties from proofs that I learned to flip this equation around. MI equals HP plus CP plus CC. What in the world does that all mean? We're going to break it down for you this morning. Let's define each component of this big equation. Let's start with MI. Well, that's, that stands for these two words, maximum impact. Maximum impact. Now we're going to make this huge assumption this morning. I'm going to prove to you biblically. This is God's goal for all of us who have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. This is his whole purpose for our life. He wants you and me to have maximum impact. And what we're really saying is this means having the greatest possible influence on the people around us. He wants you and I to leverage our one and only life in such a way that we have maximum kingdom of God impact on the people around us. The Bible is filled with this. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says that we're all supposed to be his witnesses empowered by his spirit to reach people both here in our city and all over the world. 
Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, that once you and I are reconciled with God, meaning that our relationship with Him was broken, but once we patch that back up and we come back into a right relationship with God through confession of our belief in Jesus Christ, through repentance of our sins, through having new life through Jesus, once we come back together, the Bible says God gives us the ministry of having that same impact on a lost world around us. In other words, God gives you a new assignment. He gives us what the Bible calls the ministry of reconciliation. Another way of saying that is God gives you the assignment of helping other people build back their broken relationship with God through Jesus Christ too. Then we also see in a verse in Matthew chapter 28, which is commonly known as the Great Commission, that Jesus tells all of his disciples to go into all the world to spread through clear communication the gospel of message of Jesus Christ and lead people to Christ and then baptize them and build them up in the faith. I want you to understand when we talk about being disciples, this is the part of the spiritual growth journey being, you know what a disciple does? A disciple is supposed to make more disciples. Well, how do you do that? That's what we're talking about in this series. We want to help equip you to be able to share your faith with confidence and courage, to be able to, have, to present the gospel message clearly to anybody when God gives you the opportunity, to know how to lead them to Jesus and to help them to, to pray, to accept them into their heart, and to not only do that, but to get them started in their spiritual journey. This is really the, the, the kernel of what God's asked us all to do, to have maximum impact. Now, but we need to examine two of these elements that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5 that help us understand the rest of the equation. It's great to understand, okay, pastor, I do want my life to have maximum impact. When I stand before God someday to be judged, I want him to be able to look at me and say, you know what, Phil, you took everything that I gave you, every gift, every challenge, every opportunity, every resource, and you leveraged those things for maximum impact. It's kind of like the parable of the talents. There's going to be a day where God says, Stuart, I gave you five talents. Dave, I gave, James, I gave you five talents. Phil, I gave you three talents. What have you done with what it is that I gave you? I want to be able to say, God, I leveraged everything you gave me for maximum impact. Well, how? HP plus CP plus CC is how you get here. So let's break that down a little bit further. We just read from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus uses two elements, two things, two ingredients to describe the way that he wants his followers to function on the earth. Now, if you've heard any amount of Bible teaching at all, this is probably not an unfamiliar story to you. Does anybody happen to remember, or can you look back over those verses for a moment and, and tell me which, which two ingredients he says we need to be like? Salt and light. Salt and light. Now, let's talk about salt for just a moment. I've heard many, 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 many sermons on this. And, uh, you know, we think one of the things that Jesus was driving at, well, there's basically three things salt does. Salt makes us thirsty. Salt uh, spices things up and gives them flavor. And salt prevents things from deteriorating and decaying and spoiling. And so there's no doubt that Jesus likely meant that his followers were supposed to have that same effect on the people around us that don't know him. That we should add flavor and spice to the situation. That our life should create a thirst in them to know God better. That we should be able through the gospel message to keep them from passing into eternity without Jesus. And those things are all true. But I want to suggest something even deeper that uh, is not an idea that I came up with myself, but that Bill Hybels presents in his book, uh, Becoming a Contagious Christian, that I think maybe Jesus was driving at that has to do with this equation. There's two things that Jesus talks about, two attributes of salt that are key in us being who we're supposed to be. Number one is this. Salt needs to be really, really, really strong. Salt needs to have a salty component to it. What he, Jesus says was, if a salt 
If salt is not salty, it's pretty much useless. The other thing he says is, is that, you know, the other thing that we need to see about salt is that salt needs to come in contact with whatever it's supposed to affect. You can have a big 55-gallon drum of salt up here, but if it never touches your corn on the cob, it does your corn on the cob no good. Really what he's saying is that salt, if it's going to be effective and have its maximum impact, it's talking about it has to be potent and it has to be in close proximity to whatever it's supposed to flavor. So let's insert those words into our equation. HP stands for high potency. And CP stands for close proximity. If my life as a follower of Jesus is going to have maximum impact, at least two things have to be present and growing. I have to be highly potent and I have to be in close proximity to whomever God wants for me to impact or affect. Is this starting to make sense to you? Starting to make a little bit of sense. What do we mean by high potency when it comes to our walk with Jesus Christ? We must have high potency, which means this, a strong enough concentration of the power and the presence of Jesus Christ alive inside of me that it bubbles out of me and is undeniable to the people I'm trying to impact. I have to walk so close to Jesus that the evidence of of that is power and his presence is so alive in my life that the people I come in contact with may not understand it, but they recognize there's something different about me that did not come from me. I have to be highly potent in my walk with Jesus Christ. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus says that salt that is, that is without its saltiness and of inferior quality is worthless. Another way of saying that is this, is the best testimony, the best advertisement you have about what we have in Jesus Christ is the change in your life. The change in your life. Listen, I don't want to sign up for a diet program for someone who's been on it for two years and lost no weight. It's not a good advertisement. How do you think someone outside of faith feels when they look inside the church and see nothing different than outside the church? That's salt that has lost its saltiness. Or maybe salt that was never salty in the first place. The idea of having maximum impact means one thing that needs, one variable in this equation that always needs to be increasing is my potency. Here's the reality. Salt without saltiness has no power. It won't make anyone thirsty. It won't stop any decay. It won't add any spice. It can have all kinds of proximity. You can dump a bucket of unsalty salt on your corn on the cob. It will do nothing positive for the corn on the cob. You can live elbow deep around unsaved people, but if there's no change in your life, there's no impact from your life. You can have all the proximity in the world. You can have a thousand unsaved friends who follow you on Twitter or know you on Facebook or you work with. You've got tons of friends and people in your family. If they see no potency evident in your life, CP alone won't change them. On the contrary, highly flavored, industrial strength salt has great potency, but it can't produce any results unless it touches something. You might know the Bible forwards and backwards and know the gospel message cold. You can know every worship song we sing on Sunday morning. You can spend 20 hours a day in prayer. You can serve on every serving team. And if you never have a conversation with someone who knows Jesus, all that potency has no impact on the lost world around you. And it's difficult the closer that you get to God and the closer you get, the more involved you get in church. And quite frankly, the older that we get, it becomes difficult for us to maintain relationships with people who don't know Jesus. 
But the message here is that it's not just about being highly potent without close proximity or being completely elbow deep with the lost but having no potency. We need both of these things to be active in our life in order to really fulfill that purpose that Jesus has for us being salt. Well, where do you get that high potency? You get it from things like reading the Bible and studying the Bible and memorizing Scripture. You get it from things like being on your hands and knees in prayer. You become more potent when you get involved in a growth group and you start to build relationships with other Christians in your church where you take off your masks and you just try and be real with each other. You become more potent by trying to share your faith and having successes and failures and growing through them. You become more potent by asking God to forgive you of your sins and living a life of, with a fearless moral inventory. All these different things are, things are the essential things a disciple of Jesus does and every single one of those things helps you get into a habit of, being, of living in sustained saltiness well what about close proximity how do i develop that area in my life sometimes you have to be a little bit more intentional if you watch the videos i've been going through through two days i don't think my deficiency was hp or cc which we'll define in a moment but i will tell you one of the struggles i have in sharing my faith is cp i don't always live and walk in close proximity with people who don't know jesus and so i have to be more intentional about cultivating People that I already know that are in my circle. People that I used to know that I need to reacquaint myself with. And then be available for people I'm going to know that God will lead me to meet. This happens at home and in our families. We have to be sensitive to this. We've got to be aware of opportunities within our community. You might have neighbors like I do. Listen, I have neighbors that I have every single time we've had an Easter service or a big day here. I've invited my neighbors to the east, to the west, and to the south of me. They've never taken me up on it. I've tried the high potency approach. I'm in the close proximity thing. Um, but I've tried as hard as I can. I haven't been successful, but they're right there. There's a missing piece we'll talk about in a second. But the reality is you and I, for close proximity, have to be sensitive to people God's already, already put in our circle. And sometimes you have to be really, really creative. Um, social media has been really powerful for me. I, you know, I, I have a bunch of, you know, people get on me sometimes, well, Pastor, you know, I, don't, I think social media is of the devil, and I don't, you know, I don't want to waste my time on it. That's your choice to make. Here's the reality. That's where a lot of people that I know are. That's where they are. Do you know that every Sunday, you know, we're averaging about 225 people on Sunday morning right now here at Echo. Do you realize that um, back in January, I preached, I, I preached several messages here, and, I, and on Sunday morning, I got to 225 people. That message came out to the 225 people here, probably 75 or 80 of you who stuck with me through the whole message, and a few of you caught part of it, okay? I did a five-minute bootleg FaceTime video on uh, some things about fasting, that week, and I uploaded it to YouTube. Do you know in 24 hours, 1,100 people saw that video? Not because I'm anybody. Listen, the reality is with two clicks of your mouse, you can listen to the best preachers in the nation. You don't need me every week, okay? I realize that you have access to preaching like never before. Do you understand that five times, almost five times our Sunday morning audience in one day heard the same message I was trying to get out here? Now that doesn't, you can use social media for good or for bad, but I recognize that's where lots of people are. Lots of people that I know in my life that I used to know are friends with me on Facebook. I have a tool to be able to connect with people I used not to be able to have to connect with. So living in close proximity doesn't always mean geographical things. It's about being sensitive to use the opportunities that we have to live close to people. So what happens when, when someone takes a chance to, to share their faith with somebody? Throughout the series we've been giving you, we've been sharing with you different stories. I have one more point to share with you in a moment, but I... I want to invite you right now just to, to listen to a simple story. One of the myths we're trying to bust in this series is this myth that you might be saying, I don't have a story. I don't have a powerful story of God saving me out of a car wreck or a drug addiction or out of a backwards life. I don't have a powerful story. Yes, you do. You have a story. 
And it's powerful, and it's inspiring, and it's encouraging. If you have found relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the best miracle of all. You've got a story. We want you to be comfortable sharing it and give you opportunities to do so. So I want to invite you to just listen to two minutes of a very simple story about a young man right here in our congregation. And I want you to be encouraged about his journey to salvation, how God's changed his life since then. Listen with me just for a moment to Todd's story. I really appreciate the example that Todd just provides to us, really, of this last point here. Um, We've talked about salt. You remember the second component that Jesus said we're supposed to be like? Light. And really, if you read through the Bible from the beginning to the end, one of the, the reasons why we see that example of light is that light represents the ability to clearly illuminate something. And what we're talking about, you can kind of fill it in here. It's great to have high potency and it's great to have close proximity, but to have maximum impact, there's one other piece of this equation. It's called clear communication. That's what Jesus meant when he said we need to be salt and we need to be light. What Jesus is saying is you have to watch this very carefully because this really messes with some people's incomplete idea of sharing our faith. Jesus is saying it's not just enough to have action alone. We also need to be prepared to put words to illuminate people to why we're doing what we're doing, why we're showing compassion, why we're taking the time, why we're serving people. Otherwise, you leave people with an incomplete idea of who we are and what it means. You can serve someone till the day is long. You can blow the snow off of their driveway and you can give them invitations to church. But if we never are able to get to a point where we can clearly communicate the gospel message to somebody, we're still not achieving maximum impact. Jesus says it's all these things. It's being a highly potent follower of Jesus Christ. It's living in close proximity to people who are lost, but it's also being prepared, ready, willing, and able when God opens up the opportunity to clearly communicate with words, with words, the simple life-changing message of the gospel. Jesus wants his followers not only to be able to to, uh, illuminate people spiritually by living out his teachings, but also by explaining his message of forgiveness and grace with precision and with accuracy. For light to have its intended effect, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 15 through 16, we read it earlier, the light can't be covered up or obscured in any way. And and, and in order for us to have the powerful influence that God desires, we must know the gospel message cold. We must know it inside and out. It must have taken such a deep place in our heart that we're able and ready to communicate it clearly, concisely and accurately when God gives us an opportunity. And this implies for a lot of us, we're going to have to study this a little bit. We're going to have to do some homework. We're going to have to do some work to be able to get to a place where we've taken out all the intimidation and uncertainty that we have over our ability to present the gospel message. Some people, well, let's just go hand bottled water, just go do nice things for people. And they'll see that and come to us and say, why are you doing that? And we'll have the opportunity to present Jesus to them. That happens so rarely. It happens so rarely that you're able to preach the gospel without words. We take that quote from St. Francis of Assisi, and we, we miss part of it. He says, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. He doesn't say, preach the gospel at all times without words. He says, preach the gospel through your actions, and then when it opens up an opportunity, you need to be prepared with words to give people the next steps to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We need to be ready to help people understand God's nature to understand their sinfulness, to understand Christ's payment and the step each of us needs to make and take to receive the forgiveness and new life that he offers. Without this, guys, people are left guessing what it is that sets us apart in the quality of our living. 
Romans 10, 14. Uh, Joe prayed this over me this morning when I met together with my accountability team and they pray over me every Sunday before I preach. He prayed this verse. Romans 10, 14 says, how can people know unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? What this means is that you and I can have all the potency in the world and all the proximity, but if we're not prepared to make a clear, precise presentation of the gospel message, two-thirds of the way doesn't get someone in the right relationship with Jesus. We need to be prepared to be able to take them the rest of the way. One of the most clear presentations of the before and after of a relationship with Jesus Christ comes through this last story I want you to hear this morning. This last story is from a young man uh, who found relationship with Jesus Christ and was willing to tell us about a little bit of his journey. So um, as we get ready to close this morning, can I invite you to just take another two minutes and listen to Adam's story? If you listen carefully, you can hear him identify each of these different things. He said, I attended the church for several years and watched. He said, I watched how the church interacted with each other and I watched how they interacted with me. He was looking to see this part of it. He said, I met the Maldives family four years ago. The Maldives family were living in close proximity to someone who needed a relationship with Jesus Christ. And out of that relationship, it attracted them to church. But then he says, another link in the chain, he said, I had a whole lot of questions about God. And I was able to, you know, he said, I was able to spend some time with somebody who was able to answer all of those questions. You see, it was those three links in the chain working together. It might have been the Maldives family that was probably here. If you've been at this church for any length of time, you were part of this. And then someone else came along the line and was able to do this. And all those things resulted in a young man's life being surrendered to Jesus Christ. And he's growing. He's here this morning. He's growing in his relationship with Jesus. And God's using him mightily. Just graduated from RN school and is just doing great things in his life. God's using him powerfully, giving him a powerful testimony. You see, we all play a different role. You don't always know what role you're going to play, but we need to be ready to move in whichever one of these arenas that God opens in front of you. So our conclusion, as our worship team comes, and maybe um, Pastor James and Pastor Stuart, you could come and just move the the board uh, off of here. Really, the conclusion in your notes is this. When I live close to Jesus, and that should be in parentheses, I, I made a typo here. It should be HP. Uh, thanks, they fixed it. You guys are awesome covering my mistakes after I just confessed to it. All right. When I live close to Jesus, that's the high potency. And when I walk close to people, that's close proximity. I will have opportunities to speak clearly about the gospel. That's clear communication. This is how my life and my personality impacts others for Jesus Christ. That's the maximum impact. So that's putting it together. If you walk close to Jesus and you're also willing to walk close to people, Every now and again, God will open opportunities for you to clearly communicate. The gospel doesn't always happen at the same time, like we've said. It doesn't always happen in the checkout line. It doesn't always happen at the, over the Thanksgiving dinner meal with your family. But I promise you, if you will really get after cultivating each of those components of your life, and most of us probably have one, at least one of those three pieces moving in a really good direction, and maybe one that's lagging behind we need to develop. So my question to you this morning is this. What do you need to do with what you just heard this morning? Does that equation accurately describe your life or is maybe there's some, some room for improvement for you? For me, I've been very clear with you. I'm, I'm, I'm at a place in my life I'm pretty comfortable on the clear communication side of things. I'm always seeking to grow the potency of my walk. But the area of my life right now that needs development is a close proximity. I recognize I have to be more intentional and mindful about walking closer to people who live outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's where I'm going with this. What about you? 
If you're already in right relationship with Jesus, which of those areas do you feel like God's tugging in your heart to get after? And I realize this morning I'm not leaving you with all the how-tos of doing this. The beautiful thing is that in your growth groups this week, that's exactly where we're going. In your growth groups this week, you will be discovering six different personality types in the Bible. How You'll have some time to discover which of those or which one or two of those fits you most naturally and then see how God used specific people in the Bible with your same personality type to do great things for the kingdom naturally as an extension of who they are. But just before we close, and as our worship team comes and our prayer team, I'll invite you to come and join me up front. I want to invite you to just bow your head and close your eyes. I'd like to give you a second to consider something this morning. So with every head bowed, every eye, every eye closed as our prayer team comes, maybe you're here this morning and you are, you're not in a right relationship with Jesus. Maybe this morning you're saying, I'm hearing you talk about the gospel message, you know, what exactly do you mean by that? Or I, I think I'm a pretty good person. I've, I've been to church or I've been to mass or I've been to, these, I've done some religious things throughout my life. Really, it boils down to this. Have you ever confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever acknowledged that you yourself need a Savior, that you need saving, that you've sinned? that you've snapped, that you've blown it, that you've fallen short of the standard. Those are the things. Those are the, that's what we have to bring to God. We have to acknowledge that we need a Savior, and we have to make Jesus our Lord. That means we get off the throne of our life, as my friend Carrie Barr said so well in her story that you'll hear in a couple weeks. We have to take ourselves off the throne of our own life and invite Jesus to sit upon that throne of our life. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I am aware of my own sinfulness, and I recognize that there is a God who loves me that we've been singing about and talking about all morning. I want to be in relationship with him. I want to lead you to salvation this morning, my friend. And what the Bible says we need to do in the book of Romans is we just confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. 1 John 1, 9 says if we will be willing to just acknowledge and own our sins and our mistakes and ask God to forgive us, that he will, and he won't hold us against us, and he'll clean us up. Salvation begins with a prayer that Todd prayed when Adam says, I went right outside the doors and I surrendered my life to Jesus. This is the, very, this is the prayer. I was there. I remember what Adam prayed. And this is the prayer I want to lead you in this morning. If you need to make your life right with Jesus this morning, here's the prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you love me. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you came to earth and lived a sinless life. I believe you died on the cross as payment for all of my penalties. You took my death sentence on yourself as a substitute for me. I believe God accepted that payment. I believe that you did not stay dead. I believe you rose from the dead, and I believe you're alive today. There's one other thing I believe, Jesus. I believe I need to be saved. I believe I have sinned. I have disobeyed you. I have lived life by being my own Lord, by being the ultimate right and wrong of my life. Today, I ask you to please forgive me of my sins and I step out of control of my life and I put you in control of my life. My commitment to you is to obey you, to follow you, to get to know you better and to live my life in such a way that I can have maximum impact for you. In your name I pray, amen. Now with everybody's eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I wanna ask you to do one more thing this morning. I'm not going to ask you to, to get up out of your seat and come down front and join the church. I'm not going to ask you to, to stand up and, and, and tell us your name and embarrass you that way. I just want to give you a chance to make this concrete. I don't want you to leave here doubting whether or not this actually worked or not. 
I want you to take a step of faith to say, I prayed that prayer this morning, Pastor, and I want you to know that I made that decision today. Will you please pray for me this week? And so I'm going to count to three, and if you prayed that prayer for the first time, all I want to ask you to do is just slip up your hand and make eye contact with me real briefly and put it back down. I'll ask nothing more of you this morning than that. I just want to be able to look in your eyes and congratulate you on the best decision you'll ever make. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Awesome. Praise God. Thank you. In the back, I see you. Thank you. Awesome. God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for changing lives. Thank you that all of heaven this morning is rejoicing over these ones who have made their life right with you. I pray right now you let them feel something in their heart that words cannot even describe and that you never let that feeling of joy of their salvation evaporate. Help us as a church to come alongside these new believers and get them moving forward in their relationship with you. We thank you for trusting them to this church family and that three more people said yes to you today. Man, that fires me up. Every head up, every eye eye open. That's what we do this for. That's why we set up and tear down in seven-degree weather. That's why we're saving money to have a permanent church home. That's why this prayer team comes. That's why this worship team is here. To lift up the name of Jesus and to draw people into a relationship with him this morning.